Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And here we are, the 200th episode at the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. To borrow a line from the Talking Head song, Once in a Lifetime, and go ahead and Google that. I keep on aging myself. Anyways, the line that I am thinking about is, how did I get here? To put it quite simply, I got here because of you, the listeners. Each and every week, you download these episodes and provide reviews and feedback through Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You send me emails. It has made this journey that much more enjoyable to know that you are devouring these episodes as quickly as I release them. I also need to thank the incredible guests that have taken their time to share their stories here at the back of the range. You know how I always say that every single episode is available at thebackoftherange.com? And I went back and looked at the names on episodes 101 through 200. Justin Leonard, Jimmy Dunn, Nathan Smith, Bob Ford, Vinnie Giles, and oh yeah, Jack Nicholas. These are just a handful of the guests from the second 100 episodes. Absolutely incredible. I can't thank everyone enough for all of your support of the back of the range. And we're getting started towards the march towards 300. So this is U.S. Open Week, and I wanted to make sure that this week's guest would be in the field at Torrey Pines. I also just got back from the NCAAs at Greyhawk, so it would also be nice to have a guest that could provide a recap from the national championship. My guest on this episode is Joe Highsmith. He's a member of the national championship winning Pepperdine Waves, and he also earned medalist honors at his sectional qualifier in Washington to get to the U.S. Open at Torrey Pines. Fantastic episode with some insight into his start in the game in the Pacific Northwest. We spoke, obviously, about Pepperdine's run starting in March where I saw them at the Valspar to the national championship at Greyhawk. And yes, we did discuss his history in USGA qualifiers and the successful one that is leading him into his first major. Before we get started, make sure you're following on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have you ever wondered how you can support this podcast? You know we don't run ads around here. Well, here's what you do. Head over to the website, thebackoftherange.com, pick up some merch. Grab a hat, a face covering, maybe some golf towels. And if you're so inclined and you like what you hear, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let's get started with this episode. Joe, you're at the back of the range. How are you? Thanks, Ben. I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. You're, well, you better be doing great. I mean, we're going to get into uh, your last, gosh, what is this? Uh, your The last two or three weeks of your life, I guess, we'll get into uh, as, as this episode progresses. But you are a national champion. Congrats on that. And you're going to play in your first major. You qualified for the U.S. Open. Um, who's better than you right now, Joe? <laughs> oh man i mean yeah i would say that as far as the last two weeks go in golf it, it's it's been tough to have a, a better week than i've had or better few weeks so uh i'm pretty pretty pumped right now and still just walking on air yeah well i i, I know we spoke a little bit before we started recording about your mindset going into the u.s open local and uh, we'll definitely hit on that later but I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure that listeners truly understand. Now they know that you are, uh, you know, junior. Just finished up your junior season at Pepperdine. 
Um, you know, with previous episodes with Joey Verzich and with head coach Michael Beard, I think everyone's pretty familiar with Pepperdine. Campus is over there in Malibu, California. But I just noticed the fact that you are a native of Lakewood, Washington, up there in the Pacific Northeast, or Pacific Northwest, rather. And yeah. I am in Southeast Florida in Boynton Beach. <laughs> We could not be further apart unless you all of a sudden uh, transferred to the University of Alaska. I mean, this is the farthest <laughs> apart we can get here, over 3,000 miles. I, I know nothing about Lakewood, and I, I want to talk about your start in the game. And But I, I'm really – I want to know about Lakewood, Washington. Tell me uh, – I mean, you're, you're the star of that city right now, so talk to me about Lakewood, Washington, what it's like uh, – um, you know, what was it like growing up there? Yeah, I mean, we grew up – on a golf course at yeah, Tacoma Country Club, and it's we live on American Lake right now, and it's about five minutes away. Um, and growing up, I remember I, I think I started playing when I was about eight years old, and I really loved golf and like loved going out in the summertime. But I remember just absolutely hating the winters and fall months when we'd yeah. go play tournaments in the freezing cold and rain, and that was not my favorite. So it actually wasn't too long after i think we bought a place in la quinta california in like 2007 or 2008 right around the time i started playing golf and then the following few years we started to go down there pretty much all winter and so i had a pretty good combo because liquid washington is like absolutely perfect and from june to september pretty much but pretty cold and, and miserable the rest of the year and I really do not like playing golf in the rain. And some people are like, oh, you grew up in Lakewood and sure, all this stuff. And I'm like, well, I never was really here when it was raining. So okay. I always hated every second when it, when it was weather conditions like that. But um, I mean, I love it. Obviously, it's, it's my home where I grew up and so many good people around here. And it, it's been really cool the last few weeks to have just like all these people from the country club I play at and just other local friends and family to, to be supporting and following what's been going on. But um, liquids about as good as it gets in the summer times, but the rest of the year I'd prefer to, we, I think I said it, but we go down to La Quinta, California. So it's, yeah. it's a nice yeah. little duo for, for golf. Well, and the other thing that I immediately think of when I think of anything in the Pacific Northwest, whether it's Washington state or, or Oregon, I'm thinking of, of golf courses kind of with you know tight fairways everything just mm-hmm. massive trees and lining fairways where you know i don't and correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think of that area as a place where you can just actually just bomb the hell out of it and go find it and who cares about being accurate because you can hit it anywhere um right i don't know tacoma and i don't i'm you know we'll, we'll hit on laquinta a little bit later but as far as tacoma goes and where you grew up and you know getting into the game even if you're only there half the year, you got to hit fairways, I'm guessing, in the Pacific Northwest. Is that correct? Yeah, totally. I mean, most of the courses up here are, are pretty much the same. I mean, tree lines, really tight. And Tacoma Country Club is is pretty short. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like that, that stereotypical Northwest course, like short and narrow and really pure grass. And um, yeah, so that was the thing. I mean, I was... I really was never much of a, of a long hitter growing up. I mean, I, I always was playing with people older than me and um, I kind of was always behind a little bit trying to hang with them. And then sure. I started to kind of gradually pick up distance as I went on, but definitely like the start of the game for me was like just learning to hit it straight and get in the fairway. And 
Um, that was kind of shaped by the courses that, that I play at up here. Now you won, I mean, you had this great junior career up there, you know, you, I think you're the youngest state amateur champion in the history of Washington state golf association. I think you won that in 2017. I know you won the Sahali yeah. in 2019, which is, I would say, you know, arguably that's the, the really the top amateur in the pack in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. When did you kind of start seeing a shift in your game to the point where, um, okay, I- I'm, I'm experiencing some pretty significant success here and colleges are calling on me. Do you, do you remember kind of when those kind of moments were occurring in your, in your junior golf career that, like I said, made you viable to play, you know, at a top school? The, the first time that I really felt like I, I was kind of, I don't know what the word is, but just kind of good enough to play in college and yeah. good enough to kind of get out on a bigger stage was I played it. I qualified for the U S junior in 2015. And that was the first time that I had really been at a tournament with, with a ton of coaches there. And I ended up playing pretty well. I, I made it to match play and I lost to Andy Zhang in the first round, but I just remember a, a bunch of coaches kind of showing quite a bit of interest that week. And like, that really kind of gave me the confidence, like, whoa, like, I mean, I've always looked up to these kids, like whoever the big names were back then, like Cole Hammer and sure. Wilson Fur, whoever. And um, it was like, I pictured these guys as gods, but then I, when I went and played with them, it was like, whoa, I can, I can totally hang with these guys. And um, obviously not really getting many opportunities to, to play with, with those guys, just kind of hanging in the Northwest tournaments and stuff. And, yeah. Um, so that was probably one of the bigger moments. And then I remember I, I made the junior president's cup in 2017. And yeah. um, obviously that team was like, was really stacked with a bunch of good players. And I mean, a bunch of those guys just played in the Walker cup. And um, I mean, that, that was definitely a really cool thing for me to kind of like, I remember like Jack Nicholas was there at the award ceremony and it was just like, whoa like this is this is so cool how far i've come in golf and we got it i remember we got to go inside the ropes for the practice rounds at the actual president's cup and that to me was like holy cow like this is this is right here in front of me i really can't believe that we're this close and obviously i was a little ahead of myself back then i had no idea how far i still had to go but um no that was really cool though to kind of get up close and personal with some of those people and it's like just feels so, so much more real when you're doing it like that. Well, you need those moments where you're actually inside the ropes and you're in those environments where, okay, um, you know, this, you can't treat this anymore as if you're just a fan of golf and a fan of high level. You actually belong here. And the more times that you spend in those environments, the easier, I guess, it's going to become for you to play well in those environments. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we have to throw in the fact that you you end up at Pepperdine. Your high school teammate, R.J. Mankey, joins you, and it's really kind of a fascinating dynamic, and I don't necessarily mean between you and R.J. I'm just saying in general for high school Mm -hmm. teammates to have that success at the, you know, state high school level and then keep it going and roll into college golf together. Um, You mentioned the the Pac Northwest, where it's kind of a different entity as far as you know playing you know the top level junior golf and and getting to go to these big events and tournaments where you know maybe you're not being as heavily recruited as if you were in Texas or in Florida. How did Mm -hmm. you two kind of end up going to Pepperdine together? How did Pepperdine kind of become an option for you? I know that I had kind of looked at Pepperdine pretty seriously when I was younger. 
I, I actually, the first, I committed to SMU in 2015. Okay. Right. It was not too long after that U.S. Junior. And um, I just kind of really liked those guys. And I mean, that, that program is awesome. And I love everything about it. And um, so I was planning on going there. And then a few years later, just kind of some things happened or whatever. And um, I ended up changing my mind and felt like, Pepperdine was going to be a better option, you know, like closer to home and um, the weather and all that stuff. And Coach Beard had been really great to me kind of throughout before I committed and and after I decided that I wasn't going to go back. And um, I remember Coach, he, he came out to watch me at this tournament in 2014 at Oak Brook. And um, he was the only coach watching me. And I think he watched me play all like 50 of 54 holes. And I finished like, 40th and just some like random junior event that was not a good field and i was like what like why what is this guy doing watching me (laughs) like i'm literally an absolute scrub and um i just remember that as like wow like this is really cool that he's coming out here and at the time pepperdine really was not a very good program i think they were starting to kind of trend upwards but I, i mean coach came to pepperdine and they were just i mean probably ranked 130th i mean just kind of a, a no-name program in the golf world and um and then i remember i mean there were so many people too kind of at the the palms where i play at and um in la quinta that were kind of pepperdine fans like jeff go was out there and then i also played quite a bit with the putnams who both played there sure, and sure. um they kind of had some influence there with with saying, you know, like I gotta, gotta go get to Pepperdine. I think it was the same with RJ too. Kind of like those guys were two Northwest boys that went there and obviously really star players and helped the program out. And, um, I'm not totally sure about RJ's process and getting there, but it wasn't really the same. It wasn't like like a tag team job that it wasn't like you totally huddled up. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. Yeah. So it was kind of unique. I remember looking at I think it was not too long after I decommitted, I was looking at Pepperdine pretty seriously. And then um, I think the coaches came out to watch RJ at, at some tournament that we were playing in. And then all of a sudden RJ was going there and I was like, Whoa, no way. Like that's, that's crazy. And it was super cool. And um, to get four more years of, of team golf with him. I mean, our high school team was so good with, with me and him and a couple other good players. And um, but yeah, so, I don't really, I don't know. I mean, the main thing was I had heard so many good things about Coach Beard and um, just from endless people about like his, how good of a coach he is and all that. And um, obviously it's, it's pretty, pretty close to home as well. Being only a couple hours from our place in La Quinta and the, the 75 and sunny every day was definitely a major yeah, drop. Yeah. That's not, that's not a hard sell at all. Um, but I also, I also find it interesting that you came from kind of a small, you know, small town and, and, you know, close environment in the pack Northwest and mm-hmm. you probably could have, uh, you know, and you kind of picked an identical setup in Malibu when obviously there's a USC, UCLA and Arizona state schools, you know, right around that, you know, right around the area. And instead you kind of picked, probably the closest thing you could find to a small town environment with Malibu. Yeah, totally. I know that's a good point. I haven't 
really consider that but i like well i'm a professional golf podcaster joe i mean these this is my job man i mean this is no, i'm kidding uh, but no that, but i immediately saw that i saw your town you grew up in and, I, and when you think of malibu it's not you know this isn't like the massive football team d1 uh you know crazy uh you know um you know acclimation period as a freshman you have this great freshman season not just because of the size of the campus, but I'm guessing you don't have that kind of a freshman season if maybe you're going to a bigger school where you walk in and you're like, oh, my God, what did I just get myself into? Yeah, no, exactly right. Um, yeah, I mean, every the, just the community around Pepperine, it's it's super tight-knit. And, I mean, a lot of pretty much everybody knows each other. And, um, I mean, I went to, like, fairly small private schools and in middle school and high school, and it was kind of the same type of thing where – they're just like kind of yes to your small friend group and whatnot. And um, the community is really close and all that. And I, I mean, that is kind of a, a good point. Like the class sizes at, at Pepperdine are really small. And um, I mean, just like everything around the school, I really like, and it's, it's, everything's pretty low key. It's not like you're going to Alabama where there's 30,000 kids and like the yeah. football thing is like all that kind of stuff. And yeah, um, I think that, yeah, that kind of helped me. Cause, I mean, I, I tend to kind of like, I don't know, I'm like pretty quiet, like try to keep to myself quite a bit. And um, that kind of like small, yeah, kind of like that small town environment is it's pretty similar at Pepperdine. And I think that that's actually a good point for one of the reasons why I like it there. But Well, you had a great freshman season. As I said, you're, you're, uh, you're WCC Freshman of the Year. You're on the first team, uh, you know, all conference. Um you know, not to fast forward through your, your early seasons at Pepperdine, but, you know, as I said before we started, there's just, we got a lot to talk about this season since you're, uh, you know, Pepperdine's the new national champion. The first time I think I saw you guys was down here in South Florida at the Valspar. Obviously, by looking at, you know, what you've accomplished and what the team has accomplished, this was, you know, probably a pretty average or, or actually below average, you know, finish for the team. Um, and then you kind of go on a run. So I, I guess maybe before we talk about, you know, regionals, before we talk about nationals, maybe just kind of set us up a little bit, set the listeners up for, you know, this was basically the, the middle of March. So we're really talking about, you know, barely two, I mean, this is like two and a half months ago. You go from really a very average finish to national champions. Maybe what was the flight like on the way back from, from South Florida? <laughs> yeah uh i remember the the team vibe and energy not being very good after after that one and <laughs> everyone <laughs> everyone was pretty upset coach wasn't too happy and um there wasn't a lot of talking going on and um but i mean honestly i just think that that that's kind of golf because it's hard to really group the the team into like all oh, the teams playing bad or the teams doing well because obviously it's an individual sport and if our individual guys are playing well, then the team is doing well. So like, I, I mean, Dylan Minetti played really well that week. So yeah. um, it was kind of on me and RJ struggled. And I think Clay and Mao played fine, but um, yep. me and RJ kind of struggled all week. And, but then after, after that week for me personally, me and Beard kind of shifted to like focusing my attention more on the mental game. I'd spent so probably about six months trying to kind of fix these these little swing things and get my mechanics dialed in and my mechanics were getting better but my i wasn't shooting the same scores so i wasn't getting any better um 
and so I was like, okay, I mean, I, I, I've done enough work with, with my physical game and it's, it's time to kind of change something. Cause I'm literally not playing any better. And, um, so we kind of started to kind of get back to just focusing my emphasis on like the, the mental side, which basically for me just consists of like getting clear on the shot I'm trying to hit and making sure that I commit to, to what I'm trying to do. Cause obviously even at a high level like college, I mean, I, I still hit plenty of shots where like, you know, you're halfway down in the, in the downswing and you're thinking about don't go right or don't go left. Sure, I mean, it's sure. not, it's not just like the hack amateurs that do that. I mean, I think even Thank the, God. Okay, good. It's, the not just, it's not just me. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know whenever I tell my friends who don't play golf, they're like, wait, what? Like you guys do that too. And it's like, yeah, that's the, that's the battle of golf. But, um, so once I kind of started the shift my focus on that. I think that was the last tournament before I'd started doing this. And then pretty much from Stanford until Nash through now, basically I've, I've played pretty well. Um, but then, yeah, I mean the team at, at Stanford, me, Clay and Joey played really well, but Dylan and Mao really struggled. So that was kind of another bad team finish. And then um, I think the next one was Augusta where we played really well, lost to Okie state by like two shots or something. And, they had an unbelievably good day the last day and but we really played well that week and Dylan was in contention for the win and whatnot and then I think the next one was Pasta Tiempo and pretty much since that one we I guess after Stanford we've we've really done really well um yeah barely lost to the Augusta State tournament and then one Pasa I think conference was the next one and we absolutely killed it there um and then regionals we were back in the northwest and the the freezing cold and wind and <laughs> that was not my style and <laughs> i played really bad there and it so was did in your home sta- it was in your home state too um i know well that was where i won the state am also oh, okay. um so like there was kind of this joke all week i kept telling everybody about how i've won at this place and uh-huh. it's just like my spot and my time and uh-huh. that's what i get for getting ahead of myself yeah, but that's, that's <laughs> not good yeah um well, I, I want to ask you about, about regionals, definitely, but I definitely uh, wanted to hit upon something you mentioned as far as your mental approach. And, mm-hmm. you know, I always like to make sure that, you know, in these episodes with lead amateurs or, or uh, you know, coaches, whoever, I want to make sure we, we give something to the listener they can kind of put into their game. Because yeah. no matter what level you're playing at, whether you're a PGA Tour or somewhere in between or a hacker, you know, you're like you said, swing can be great, but if your brain's getting in the way, it's just not going to happen. So, um, so talk to me about what you're doing specifically with your mental approach that is kind of, you know, kickstarted the end of your, your season. So I had done, I'd started doing a really good job from Stanford until the first round of regionals. I had played near perfect golf for all those rounds and like mental game was, was just really gelling and I was doing a really good job and perfect balance out there on the course with with the mental and the physical and all that and um then the conditions got tough at regionals and it was cold it was windy it was not fun at all and i kind of had gotten away from it started getting upset and complaining all this stuff and just totally got away it was so hard for me to, i wasn't committing to any shots and um the scores showed that i mean i played pretty poorly those second two rounds and then i'd the next few days between regionals and nationals, I had kind of been struggling more and more. And then even at nationals, um, I played okay in the second round and didn't play 
grade in the third round. And then me and coach beard kind of had a long conversation after the third round and got back to like, look like clearly I'm not doing this stuff. I mean, I know when my mental game's on point, I'm playing well. I mean, if and if I'm playing poorly, it's because my, my mental's off. And so we started this approach. That's kind of like after every single shot, we're trying to get a, a 10 out of 10 on commitment. So, um, for me, what, the, what a 10 is on a, on a swing is like, did I have a very clear picture in my mind of what I was trying to do? Because sometimes I'll, I'll walk up to a shot when I'm kind of in a bad mental place and you're just kind of going through the motions. Like you're looking up at the target, but you're not really looking at it. I mean, you're just kind of right, you're just basically your like body up to it. Yeah, exactly. So you're, Coach Beard talks about like being into the shot and it's hard to really describe what the, like that, that mental state is, but it's, it's more kind of on the player to know, like, was I really engaged in the shot or am I kind of just walking up and almost, I tell coach when I'm doing a poor job, it's like, I feel like I'm just watching myself go through the motions and I'm like, couldn't be further from into the, into the game or into the shot. Um, So that's a big part of it is really getting clear on, okay, what am I trying to do here? Like there has to be some kind of goal for what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to just hit the fairway. It's like, I'm trying to hit low, medium, high draw cut from starting here, working over to this other target, whatever. Um, and so that's the first thing. And then the, the big thing is in the actual golf swing, like, did you really stick through with that plan that you were trying to do? Or did you kind of halfway down, you know, doubt it or trust it or kind of did fear creep in and all that. And um, it's really kind of on the player to know that because, and the biggest thing too, is if, if you are committing to shots and getting clear on the picture and all that stuff I talked about, like then you can at least figure out where you're going wrong because if you're fully committing to shots and they're not really going where you're looking, then maybe it could be something physical that you need to work on or whatever. But if you're kind of up there and with a bad attitude and you're not really committing to shots, then, I mean, you never really get to find out if, if it's your talent or if it's your mental game. And um, that was the thing where it's the biggest part for, for any golfer, I think is to just be honest with themselves. Like, was I really committed to that shot or did I hit it in the right trees because I was scared of the left water or something like that? Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I mean, it completely makes sense. And from what I'm hearing is first of all, it it teaches you to be accountable and honest with yourself instead mm -hmm. of the, uh, you know, I I got a flyer or, um, Ben, I had a bad lie or, you know, I, I caught a gust instead of all that you know, a lot of times that's crap, but instead of all that stuff, you can actually say, look, um, you know, I'm really engaged when I have a wedge in my hand from 115 yards. Uh, I'm comfortable with it. I've worked really hard on that. I I can hit that shot, but when uh, I need to hit a cut, that's when I, you know, double cross myself or, uh, you know, fairway bunker shots or, or even a greenside bunker shot. I'm, I'm not committed because maybe my technique out of the sand isn't good or maybe I'm just not able to, you know, I'm not hitting a cut well. So that's what I'm hearing that it sounds to me, it's just, it's a really good way for you to be completely honest and transparent with yourself so that you can identify what else is really going on. Yeah, exactly. Right. I think that especially nowadays, a lot of, a lot of players in college and even you see it on the PGA tour. I mean, it makes so many excuses for, for what's going wrong and all like such a bad break or like, that's a perfect swing. Like there's no way that, 
it yeah. can produce that shot. And it's like, I mean, the thing that I like about it is, um, cause th that's where it's really helped my attitude on the course too, is like, if I'm, if I fully commit to a shot and hit it exactly how I wanted to, and it somehow goes where I didn't want to bunker or water or something like that, which it really never does when I'm fully committed. But if that does happen, it's like, you can't, you can't be mad about it. There's nothing to be upset about because sure. you did your, your part entirely. And so that's the big thing too, for me is really not being results oriented. So like coming down the stretch at nationals, like people are always like, Oh my, like, what were you thinking on that bunker shot? Like there's so much pressure on the line. And for me, it's like, well, there, there was no pressure on it for me. I was just trying to fully commit to it and trust that that's going to give me the best chance of success. And if that thing went in the water and I fully committed to it, then, then fine. But if I was scared of it and kind of, last second try to flip it up to get over the lip or whatever like that would have been failure even if it went to two feet i mean so it's kind of like that scale of of success i think has really helped me play better because there's there's really no outcome um involved with that and you're i believe you're talking about the fairway bunker shot you hit and i you know unfortunately being kind of just me as one person you know not being able to be everywhere at once i was not there when you hit this shot but if i remember correctly this is this in the semis? Yeah, so it was, I think it was in the semis um, against Oki State, and right. I was tied with Amin Gupta, or I was one up going to 18 with Amin, and um, right. he he had made like a 20-footer on okay. 17. I was there for, for the par. And, I was there for yeah. his par putt, and then I stayed because, um, well, I stayed because I knew that, you know, basically it was either going to be a half or a one up for you. So I think by run yeah. by running the math, I, I stayed where I was. So I saw that par putt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he made that crazy clutch putt and then I missed a 15 footer. And so now we're going to 18 and it's his box and he stripes it down the middle and I hit a pretty good tee shot too, but it just caught the left edge of the right bunker and kind of stayed up on the, the upslope just short of the lip and he hit first and obviously like I'm sure part of he and Bratton's strategy was get something on the green within 30 feet. Cause it wasn't looking very good for where my position was. And, right. um, he hit a really quality shot in there. And I mean, I still thought he was going to make the putt. I mean, he's such a good putter and he just came off pouring a 20 footer dead center. And, um, me and coach kind of, it was more of the same. I mean, while we're out there, I mean, we're not thinking about this stuff, the storyline and the, the, the moment and all that stuff. We're just trying to commit to the shot, but, um, it was pretty sick. Yeah. Cause I mean, Oklahoma state without a doubt, the best golf program in history. And I mean, Braddon is an unbelievable coach. He's finds a way to make every team he has extremely good and, um, nothing but respect for those guys, but yeah, it's pretty cool to, to knock them out. I mean, they've they've literally beat us every time we've been close with them, and <laughs> to to beat them at that time was was pretty cool. And I for bet. it to kind of come down to to my shot was awesome. So the shot was out of the right fairway bunker. What did you have then? I'm just trying to picture just because I can't. I, I think it was what like 175, 80. Is that about what that bunker was? Yeah. So it was it was 182. It's like kind of a back right pin, and obviously you know the hole with the water and whatnot, oh, yeah. and um. So I just like fully committed to an eight iron, just absolutely flushed it and hit like a high draw up there to like 10 feet pin high. And then he almost made his putt after that. And so <laughs> he barely missed it. It kind of just fell off right at the end, burned the right edge. And 
I just lagged my 10 footer up there and, and we got it done. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you lagged that 10 footer. <laughs> exactly. What, um, now you just talked about, you know, basically people listening, they're like, okay, how is this guy hitting a, hitting a, um, an eight iron out of a fairway bunker from like 182? And actually, Amon during a practice round, uh, I was with him during a practice round, and he, he hit seven iron out of the left fairway bunker under the green from 200. So, oh, uh, wow. so yeah, so, and it's not the, and as you said earlier, it's not like you or even Amon for that matter are, are just absolutely just destroy the golf ball. It's because of the conditions. A lot of it's because of the conditions out there. And I heard so many things about people that were just trying to get, get things figured out as far as how far to hit the ball. How much of an advantage of it, you know, and actually, you know, now that we're talking about it, you know, people are asking me who my picks were. And I included you, uh, I included Pepperdine, and I included ASU heading into this championship. Both mm-hmm. of you made the final four. And primarily the reason I had is, well, first of all, ASU is used to playing out there. And I just figured you guys being on the West Coast, less travel and being a little bit sharper, uh, maybe than most teams that are traveling West. But now that you mentioned that yeah. you actually play your golf in La Quinta, I know that you had tournaments in Nevada and La Quinta. How quickly was it? How quickly did your team adjust to the conditions of Greyhawk with the elevation and the dryness? Yeah, I mean, it actually, it honestly was was really easy for us. I mean, okay. the the kind of Pepperdine style of play is like hot and dry, no wind. Like, I mean, that that's kind of how we all like it. I mean, we're we're a bunch of California kids, and um, I mean, going to the desert, it's it's really not. A whole lot different the ball goes a little bit farther but that style of play is really similar to to what you get and um like for example we play that the prestige at the norman course at pj west which is exactly the same style just fairway and desert um it sets up a lot like arizona golf and but so i mean we went over a day early and played silver leaf and i mean it really doesn't take us long to adjust to numbers i mean it was probably i don't know what the elevation was but you kind of almost just get, get it down as a feel. Like I knew, I mean, my eight iron goes about 162 to 165 at home in, in LA. And, um, that was probably going about 180 in, in, um, in Scottsdale. So it was, I mean, it was difficult to adjust, but like the, I mean, it only takes me really a couple of days to kind of get used to it. And I'm sure, sure that the, the first few days of the tournament, people maybe were still getting used to it. But by the time we're in match play, I mean, we've, we've played like six rounds there. So um, I think by the end of the week, everyone had, I would hope, had kind of gotten used to it. And But it's so much different, too, though, for those schools coming from, I don't know, the southeast or the northeast or whatever. And they're flying halfway across the country to a style of play that's like, extremely unique to that area i mean arizona golf is is not really like anywhere else i mean there's a few courses in in la quinta that are that resemble it but um i don't really know about anywhere else so um yeah i mean i thought that that our guys did a pretty good job and another thing too is that we um we went over and played three rounds at greyhawk in like april um, and that really helped to kind of go through the course. And obviously it wasn't as hot or firm, but to be able to kind of get used to like that style of play was, was pretty helpful for us. Yeah. Yeah. I know a lot of teams were able to actually do that. Um, yeah. I want to ask you before we talk about what, uh, what's uh, on tap for you this summer, uh, cause you got some special things that you're uh, going to be playing in. 
um, notably the, gosh, the, the U.S. Open. Uh, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about maybe just the makeup of the team. So, you know, I, I saw a lot of teams that clearly had kind of a, a one-two punch where those yeah. two horses are going to be awesome, and if the three, four, five guys can just, you know, provide some support, they'll be fine. Or maybe they have three guys that go low, but – Maybe there's one guy in that top three that is always susceptible to throwing a 77 up on the board, and you got to have a four or five guy that can be kind of steady. I think a lot of teams have different setups. Now, you mm-hmm. actually came in as the sixth man. You were the sub. You were not actually technically in the starting lineup. And I just wonder if you can maybe explain the dynamic of Pepperdine or the dynamic of the Pepperdine men's golf team to how – maybe i mean what was your approach going in knowing that maybe i'm not even going to play but i need to be ready if i do get in and you know you basically take over from from rj uh, after the first round of stroke play and you know really you catch fire in your last four rounds you shoot 67 in the last round of stroke play and then go undefeated in match play talk to me a little bit about just the dynamic of of the pepperdine team with with everyone that probably was in the lineup throughout the whole year yeah, I mean, it's obvious for for the guy team. It's it's pretty frustrating to just be every single week fighting for your spot. I mean, there was probably at at one point throughout this year, every single player on the team was probably upset about something that the coach had to do just because of the depth of our team, with whether it be qualifying after a good finish or not getting picked or anything like that. And um, I mean, even with how good our six that went to nationals were, I mean, we have Josh McCarthy who will probably have a successful professional career at home. Yeah. My roommate, Derek Hitchner, who's another extremely good player and just hasn't gotten that many opportunities because of the, the depth of our team. But it's like, I mean, there, there's so many good players. It's just so tough. Um, and I think that that was kind of a little frustrating for the guys, but it also did, like undoubtedly made us better. I mean, the, you can't just like, you can't slack for one day. I mean, you have to really go out there and prove yourself every single day. And I think that that probably contributed to, to our team's success is like, just cause you play good one week, that, that doesn't mean anything. Like you gotta, you gotta play good right now. Like I, no one cares what you did last week or sure. three weeks ago. And um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of shown in, and what happened with me, I mean, I, I won Pasta Tiempo, um, played pretty well, played really well at Stanford, played well at Augusta, lost by one at conference, had a couple bad days at regionals, and then I'm not in the lineup. So, um, wow, that was, uh, <laughs> it was a little frustrating. It was a tough decision for coach. I mean, me and Dylan struggled and um, he knew that kind of we were going to have to do some kind of qualifying or whatever with RJ and then. Um, RJ played well and me and Dylan were still kind of in the dump struggling. And I know coach was, was, it was, he said it was kind of one of the hardest decisions he's had to make, but, um, he ended up going with Dylan. But when, when he told us and RJ, obviously, and when he told me, he was kind of saying like, look, like this is so hard for us, but like, we're still like, we're going to need you this week. I mean, this isn't like the sub, like you're just some thick man. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, they, I'm sure that they're well aware that I'd kind of been one of our our better players this year and stuff. And um, 
but at the same time, I mean, I, I was kind of in a, a little struggle period. I'd kind of gotten away from the, the mental stuff. And um, obviously, I, it still hurts me that I didn't get the chance to, to compete for an individual title. But I mean, it's hard to complain right now. And you, I mean, you have to think that just based on how some of those events transpired, I mean, who knows if we would have won had I been in the lineup or if I'd be going to the U S open right now, I mean, it, it all kind of ended up working out for the better and yeah. really was kind of a wake up call for me to get, get back on track to, to kind of this mental stuff that I talked about earlier. But, um, I mean, the team, team dynamic is, it was really good at the tournament though. I mean, that was nice. Cause once, once we're there and I mean, RJ handled it well with, with being taken out of the lineup and it seemed like he was still totally rooting for us. He wasn't upset about it or anything like that. Right. And, the same the first day. I mean, obviously, I wanted to be playing, but I mean, I'm not going to bring any kind of negative energy to the guys. And I was out there supporting everybody and really rooting them on and stuff. And um, it was kind of cool to see all the guys really get behind each other. And that that was the big thing about the dynamic this week was every everybody was was playing good. So like, it, it's not like like I had my really cool moments, but like so did joey so did clay played probably better than anybody this week clay but... made two hole in ones <laughs> yeah i mean clay had an unbelievable week and i mean it was just so cool to see like it's not like i mean oklahoma state had a really deep team a few years ago but it's like you know victor and wolf are the guys but like for us it's like we have five guys that are just as good as each other there's nobody yeah. they you could go on and on about whose record is better but especially at nationals i mean everyone was playing good it wasn't like okay you know we gotta like dylan and mal need to win because joey's right, not gonna right, win. exactly like, no everybody, everybody could yeah yeah everyone's right there totally. so that was really cool but so you uh you kind of you know boat race through the uh through the through the match first couple you know the quarters and the semis and you get uh you get into against oklahoma and this really this epic final and and obviously the, a lot of the storylines are on their seniors whether it's um quaid and reband and um you know logan McAllister and you know this this um or i'm sorry um jonathan brightwell so you know they yeah. ha- have this really core group that came back and you guys pull it off and and win the national championship and you know one of the things that i remember seeing was Obviously, you know, Joey Verzich running up the 18th fairway to get to the celebration on the 18th green. And uh, and then you got, uh, you know, Clay and Mal putting out their best uh, Brady Gronk, uh, you know, video on Instagram. <laughs> and I haven't seen anything from you yet. I mean, did you just figure I'll just stay quiet and go qualify for the U.S. Open? Or, I mean, what, what was the party like? I mean, I don't want to know all the all the gruesome details of what a party in Malibu sounds like. But, I mean... I mean, when you actually get to relax after all the stress of the season, how, how, I mean, what is that experience like when you can finally say, okay, there's nothing else to do this, this year. I we've won. Yeah, I know that was, it was crazy. I mean, we didn't, we really didn't do any kind of celebration after because, um, I mean, we were so beat from interviews and all that. And yeah. we went, we went, to, I mean, we did, we went to a nice dinner, but like there wasn't any kind of party celebration and um we got back the next day and everyone was just like dude we're so ready to go home i mean we've been here we've been here a month since school got out i mean it's it we're like it's it's about time to leave pepperdine we've been here way way too long and everyone was ready to go home but um i mean i remember the the night that we won like me and mal had the the team trophy in in our room and like i mean we were just so pumped it was it was 
awesome. But, um, I mean, the next day, like, I woke up super early, just not even close to tired. And we got to fly private home, which was sick. And then um, got back to my apartment, and I just, like, literally did nothing the entire day. Just, like, <laughs> I had, like, 30 minutes of packing to do, and it took me, like, eight hours. And I was just, like, replying to people on my phone and whatnot. But, um, I mean, everyone was just, like so excited but i think we're saving our celebration for the fall because everyone was was about ready to go home but yeah um yeah no for me just i mean posting that picture on my insta and i posted the bunker shot so that was enough for me and mal and clay had their thing and (laughs) joey obviously had his moment it was hilarious but um no it it was so cool You you know you get through your u.s open sectionals and you're going to go play at Torrey Pines, and this is going to be your first major, and you have Joey in the bag. Have you talked to him about what kind of socks he's going to be wearing? I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm mean, i kind of getting this vibe of you have kind of like – I mean, is he basically the equivalent of Happy Gilmore's caddy? I mean, is he going to wear shoes? <laughs> I mean, have you talked to him yet? I, I, I'm, how, did, how did you pick him? Joey is obviously one of my best friends on the team, and um, I mean, I just think he – brings like really good energy to the, to the team and to the, to just playing golf in general. I love going and playing with him. And, um, obviously a, another big draw is that he won the state am out there this last summer. And I mean, yes, he said he he's played there right hundreds of times and knows the course like that, just as good as anybody else. And, um, I think that that kind of combo of he's going to be there as kind of a friend and for me to have a really fun week with, but he's also, really knowledgeable on the the golf course and how to play it. So um, I think that combo is going to be great, but I know he's going to be rocking some sick socks and I'll probably tell him to get a cool pair of kicks to wear because those caddies get to wear shorts and he's going to be able to show off the socks. And I mean, it's going to be an unbelievable week, but I'm, I'm so pumped to have him caddying for me. As long as we get him some screen time. Um, all right. Two, two <laughs> final questions before I let you go. I appreciate the time you've given me, but two things I need to ask. Um, most people with, that have seen you playing at the national championship, see the large bucket hat and would probably assume that you just picked that up in the pro shop for the, to, to battle the Arizona heat. I know that's not true. Uh, I'm, I'm guessing, uh, you know, if I had to lay money right now on a bet, I think you're probably wearing a bucket hat right now. Um, but I, I could be wrong, but, uh, I have actually, now this is interesting. Now, is this for fashion? Is this for protection from the sun? Because I actually tried to play golf wearing one of those monstrosities and it always mm-hmm. felt like someone was like behind me, like someone was like yeah. hovering over you. So how did you actually get used to that? I'm, I'm actually curious about that genuinely. Well, so that's what people have said that like when they put it on, they hear like some kind of like echo and yeah. like it really weird and i guess i'm just used to it because i don't hear that at all but the the origin was like i i played with one of my friends um from the country club at at tacoma and his name's dr aaron pace and he's a dermatologist and he always wears the bucket and i was like yo like i kind of like that that bucket how like why do you wear and he just kind of told me about the the reality of skin cancer for sure people who play golf and are in the sun 24 seven. And, um, and then, so I was like, Oh, okay. Like that. I really don't haven't cared much about my skin as like a 17 year old kid, but I was like, okay, I'll give it a try. And then I wore it down at the, the polo invitational, which was like, I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was my first invitational 
in like the HAJ, I'm sure you know this, but like they have the invitationals, which are kind of like the, the majors or whatever of, yeah. of junior golf. And um, I went and finished second wearing the bucket hat all week. And there you go. Um, that kind of like propelled because the way the ranking systems work, like I was still kind of a nobody, but that tournament like totally got me on the map and it, it boosted me into like playing in the Wyndham Cup and then the same ranking points that got me there kind of helped me get on that president's cup and stuff. And so like, I mean, it was it was really cool to about what that tournament meant. And like for me at the time, I mean, it was it was the best I had ever played in a tournament. And like since then, it's been a little bit of like a, a superstition. And then over time, I just That's think trademark. I look better. That's your trademark, man. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing, too, is like, I mean, my skin is is pretty fair. So like if I wear a normal hat, my cheeks just get like super red. <laughs> And then my forehead's white, and I think it's like the ugliest look of all time. Like the, <laughs> the, the golf. Sink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I try to like layer up with the sunscreen, and that's honestly more for like my personal looks than actual like my skin and health. But gotcha. um, you're just trying to look good for the ladies. I get it. It's cool. Yeah, exactly. I understand. There's, there's reasons for that. All right, Joe, before I let you go, and it's so crazy that we're having this great conversation about just the incredible team achievement that Pepperdine just accomplished winning a national championship. You're a huge part of that. And this may be the first time ever in an episode where getting through locals and sectionals to gain a U.S. Open berth gets overshadowed in an episode. I I can't believe that that's exactly (laughs) what's happened here, but it is what it is. So you are about to embark on your first major the u.s open at torrey pines out in california and i know you've played in eight usga championships this is not going to be your first rodeo uh with the usga um i I know sectionals happened after the national championship but but maybe walk us through maybe just briefly previous history in usga championships and um and then i definitely want to ask you about locals before we talk about sectionals so actually I qualified for four us juniors in high school. Um, and then I've gotten into the previous three USAMs. So, um, the, I mean the first us junior qualifier I ever played, I shot like 87 in the first 18 and it's a 36 day. And I didn't even play the second <laughs> round because I was so far out of it. And that was my first one ever. And I was, I was totally in over my head and like, didn't know what I was getting into and whatnot. And, um, but I remember watching, I think I watched like Wilson Fur and Philip Barbary and some of the top juniors at the time at my qualifier get through. And it was pretty motivating for me to like see that up close. And obviously at the, at the time I was, I was a ways away, but I did feel part of me, like I, I could totally do it. And then the next year I went to a, a different side and, um, kind of just had a, the approach of like really just trying to do as, as good as I can on each shot. I mean, it's kind of in a qualifier, like you kind of have to leave everything out there and get as much out of the round as you can. And, um, I was able to, I think I won the next year, my qualifier by a few shots. And that was just like unbelievable for me going to my first us junior and like just the way the USGA runs their tournaments is so cool. And, um, that, that was an awesome experience, but it definitely gave me like quite a bit of confidence going forward that I, I, I could get through these qualifiers. And, um, I don't know what it is exactly, but just whenever I'm at a USGA qualifier, something just feels good and I feel like I can do it. And there's a lot of self-belief there, but, um, it's, I've had a pretty solid success rate in qualifiers in the past. And, um, 
yeah, kind of starting with the U.S. juniors and leaning into the U.S. Sams, it's all been been pretty cool to kind of see how it's I've built upon those experiences. And it's so crazy that you say that because you know as well as I do that there are players that are you know top ranked amateurs, even top ranked professionals, uh, whatever qualifier they're going into with the USGA, that have these incredible resumes and they just don't they just don't get it done at qualifiers. There's something about USGA mm-hmm. qualifiers where some people have it, I guess for lack of a better term, some people have it, some people don't. And you see, yeah. you just get these good vibes. I, I mean, can you pinpoint it at all? Because you know as well as I do, like, I mean, how many times have you gone out and shot 68 in your sleeve with your buddies and you're thinking, yeah. yourself, man, I mean, I, I'd give I'd give my arm to be able to do that in a US, USGA qualifier. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, I feel like part of it probably is just kind of the intensity surrounding it. I mean, everyone knows, like, I mean, the USGA championships, whether it's a junior and AM or obviously the, the big one, the US Open. Um, I mean, it's always like it's, the tension's pretty high and everyone kind of obviously really wants to get through. And um, I feel like I've kind of used that like little extra nerves and pressure to kind of just push me to like focusing even more on what I want to happen. And um, I think that's kind of helped me get through it. And also kind of knowing that because the stage is high and the pressure's up there that a lot of, a lot of players aren't going to be able to, to handle that and play well. And just kind of both of those things give me confidence in these things, but also just like getting through some of the, some of my first couple qualifiers definitely helped me just like feel like I could do it and have that belief in, in some of the bigger ones. Now you got through locals and that was obviously before, um, you know, really the, the NCAA regionals before the NCAA national championship, mm-hmm. you get through locals and obviously there's more spots available in a local qualifier to get you to sectionals. And there's very few at sectional. I think you were at a site that only had two and you were medalist in that one. Um, dumb question. I'm, I'm allowed them. Um, is, <laughs> is there any different mindset in a local qualifier for us open versus a sectional? For me personally, not really just kind of, maybe it's because of my approach to just tournament golf in general, but um, I will say like the, at the local qualifier, I definitely felt a lot more like, okay, this is more than doable. I just kind of have to stick to my game plan and it's not like out of reach at all versus the sectional is a little more like, okay, I really have to bring it today. Like I can't afford to be making stupid mistakes and whatnot, but like the local qualifier I went to, I think I, I played really well, but I think I won by four and got in by like six shots or something. So like, um, Obviously, the field's not as strong, but I think kind of having a little bit of that relaxed atmosphere, like, okay, I really, I mean, I should be able to totally get through this, no problem, kind of helps me out too. But I also kind of like the, when it forces you to really focus because of the chances aren't as good. So kind of, I mean, both worked well, but yeah, in that sense, the, the approach is a little bit different. So then you go and you kind of shift gears away from your own personal um, achievements mm-hmm. and you go into the team environment and uh, and then you go into sectionals just a few days after winning the national championship. I know that you uh, you know were medalist at the sectionals and you get through and you're obviously going to the U.S. Open. Um, you know, as you're going through sectionals, you know what's at stake. But were you pretty much piggybacking off of your mental approach that you used at the national championship? Was this just a continuation? Pretty, yeah, exactly that. I mean, I, Coach Beard kind of helped me get back on track with some of the mental stuff that I mentioned earlier about committing to shots. And um, I kind of just 
really had a lot of confidence that that approach worked for me and that it was going to produce good golf. And um, another thing that, that is good about that approach too is that the way you measure success is pretty um, pretty easy and it's like right in front of you. Like it, I kind of know right after I've hit the shot if it's if it's been a success, like how well I committed to it or not. It's not really as results-oriented, which I think helps me play better in qualifiers like this because – I mean, just any time in golf, getting out of results and more into kind of like what what am I doing? Like how well am I doing with the stuff that I can control? I think that helps you play better. But just having that approach and seeing it really work under pretty high amounts of pressure at nationals kind of gave me the confidence to just keep doing it and playing like that. And another thing was the the sectional too. Like I was still just kind of walking on air and like riding on confidence from the national championships so like i kind of felt almost a little bit like the local qualifier too like hey like this is i'm playing great right now and i have total faith and total belief that i can i can get through and um just kind of stick to the game plan and keep doing what i was doing and that definitely helped a lot now before i let you go i've asked this question to just numerous amateurs throughout the years that were finding themselves for the first time on a, on a big stage we know whether it's uh you know whether it's an ollie osborne who's joining you this week at the u.s open mm-hmm. tell, tell him i said hi by the way um yeah so a, a, an ollie osborne playing in the masters or um you know a, a john augenstein playing in the u.s open or a john pock you know down the line yeah do you set the end all be all goal of winning low amateur do you allow yourself to to be a you know be a kid so to speak and be a little bit of a fan of the stage and um you know get into some practice rounds or find yourself on the on the range with with some of these stars of the pga tour that you hope to join someday um how do you set your goals and your approach to get as much out of it but also you know take care of business and compete yeah i know well definitely going into the week i mean part of me definitely wants to to keep doing what i'm doing and um definitely i mean i don't know if i really believe i have a chance to win but i do think that if if i play well and kind of keep doing what i'm doing that i'll be really curious to see where it stacks up against the best players in the world and i mean i'd like to think that that my good golf can can hang with those guys but um this week will kind of tell that but also obviously i mean i'm trying to enjoy the week like this is gonna be pretty ridiculous like it's not (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, obviously my first major, but this is my first time playing any kind of professional events. So, okay. um, yeah, so like it, I haven't played, you know, PGA Tour events or Corn Ferry events in the past. This is my first time on, on any kind of stage like this. So in that sense, I mean, it'll also just be kind of a cool learning experience for me to like not only learn from these guys that are that are playing, but also to be like a little bit of a fanboy. I mean, these are guys that I've watched on TV since I was a kid and seeing some of them in person is going to be pretty cool and just warm it up next to them is going to be pretty awesome. But I'm going to have to definitely make sure that I don't get distracted and kind of at least once I'm on the course, really focus on kind of that same mental approach that we've talked about. But um, yeah, so I mean, in, in both senses, it'll be pretty cool. But the main thing I'm looking forward to is really seeing where my game actually stacks up. 
So if nobody was around and you didn't fear any repercussions from any PGA Tour player, what would be your go-to, you know, fan move? Would you go replicate Tiger's putt on the 18th green? Would you go up to Brunson and say, "Hey, man, can I can you spare a, a protein shake? I'm a little bit low this week." I mean, what? I mean, is there anything that you can that that you would do, uh, you know, without any fear of? Uh, repercussions or any sort of like, dude, kid, get away from me. Enjoy the week, but I'm I'm working. Yeah. I'm working here, kid. <laughs> no, I mean the only thing that I would want to do would be to like get in a practice round group with like Rory or Brooks or Dustin or something like that. Sure. Um, but the part of me definitely is like, I don't want to be like that that scrub <laughs> that signs up with the best players in the world. They're uh -huh. trying to play with each other and <laughs> whatever they're up to. I mean, who knows? But um, I mean, that's pretty much it. And I don't really know if I'm going to do that or not yet for this week. But um, hopefully what I'm hoping happens is I just get a six Saturday pairing with some some big names. Yes. And um, but no, yeah, I mean, part of me really wants to go put myself in Rory's group, but I might be a little too scared for that to happen. Right, well, you'll, you'll, you'll get there. You'll get there. Yeah. Um, all right, Joe, listen, man, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I, I, like I said, you know, national championship, U.S. Open. I'm glad we were able to cover both. Uh, I wish you the best leading into Tory, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Uh, enjoy the experience, and uh, thanks for stopping by the back of the range. Yeah, thanks so much, Ben. And there you have it. Special thanks to Joe Highsmith for joining me on this episode here at the back of the range. Best of luck to him and all the amateurs that are going to be at Torrey Pines for the U.S. Open. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Every episode is available at thebackoftherange.com. We will see you next time for episode 201 here at the back of the range.